Hey, Harry, what's up, man? Man, I'm good, man. You know, uh, just uh, you know, doing my thing. I really have nothing. To, <laughs> this is a bonus episode, so I feel like we we shouldn't do the usual chatter because they don't deserve it. They already had the content from the day before. At this point, like everything we do from this point on is just you know, them being lucky, them being the audience. That's weird. You could have framed that in a very nice way, and you chose to frame it in a very aggressive way. <laughs> hey, I'm the I'm the rebel of the show, Kamau. Oh, is that? What, are you the bad boy of politically reactive? I'm the bad. <laughs> I'm the bad boy of politically reactive. <laughs> Which means you're still a very, very good boy. Yeah, I mean, just considering how uh, high the bar is, yeah, I mean, I could still be a really great guy and be bad. So. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, this is our bonus episode. Uh, we ha- we've packed a lot into it. Uh, we're going to read some of your emails, tweets, answer some of your burning questions, answer some of your not-so-burning questions. Uh, and also, as a, there's an extra special bonus in the bonus episode, because uh, there's something we really want to address. Many of our listeners have been mentioning this, so today we're going to talk about the protests happening in North Dakota and the surrounding Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, Native American communities, as you have probably seen on Twitter and Facebook, have gathered from all over to support these efforts. We're going to be speaking with someone on the ground there, Ben Alex Dupree. Ben Alex is a writer, filmmaker, and grassroots indigenous advocate for cultural and environmental issues. He is currently a story coordinator for the Viceland series Rise about globally indigenous movements. So just to give you a little background on this before Ben Alex gets on the phone, this all started with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. The pipeline is a $3.8 billion oil pipeline which would carry crude oil through the Dakotas and Iowa to Illinois. Now, protests to halt construction started out of concerns for the destruction of sacred cultural sites and a fear of the damage from an oil spill to the water supply. The pipeline would run under the Missouri River and very near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. The tribe is challenging construction of the pipeline in federal court as well. You know what? Let's just get him on the phone. He knows way more than we do. Hold up. Wait a minute. Hey everyone, producer Erica here. I know I'm interrupting the show like 30 seconds in, but here's the thing. We spoke with Ben Alex before a pretty big announcement was made. Last Friday, the Department of Justice, the Department of the Interior, which oversees Native American affairs, and the Army Corps of Engineers all issued a joint statement temporarily suspending construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline on federal land near the Missouri River. Now, the Army Corps of Engineers says it wants to, you know, take a beat and rethink those permits they'd previously given to the pipeline company. In the meantime, the Army has also asked that the company voluntarily halt construction within 20 miles of the federal land mentioned. Anyway, we checked in with Ben Alex after we heard the news, and we'll let you know what he had to say a little later on. Okay, Kamau and Hari, back to you. Hey, Ben Alex, it's Kamal here now. Hello. I'm being told to ask by my producers, are you recording this on your end? Yes, I'm recording it on my iPhone. I'll be able to upload uh, this recording to you as soon as we're done. Perfect. Uh, so first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you for calling in to Politically Reactive. We really appreciate it. Oh, yes, it's pretty amazing. Uh, always always a fan of your work, you know, Netflixing late night and, uh, you know, watching the specials on cable with... Uh, down at South by Southwest, so it's it's pretty cool to be talking to you. I also do stuff. Yeah, and you do too. Let's be clear. <laughs> Hari, you always frame it in such a way where it looks like you're like they're ignoring you when they just are just happen to be talking to me. It just so happens to be talking to you. It just happen to Wait. be. They want to compliment me for a second, and then you. Get Wait a minute. Upset. There's two of you. It sounds There's like you guys us. are the both. They sounded like the same person. Oh, no, there's two of us. Uh, yeah, the, so I'm W. Kamal Bell, and my co-host... I'm Hari Kondabolu. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right. Well, now, now that we cleared that up, that was confusing. <laughs> so, yes. So, uh, yeah, See, we, I don't, we I don't hear race in voices, you know, so I can't tell if there's two of you. It just sounds like <laughs> one. I don't we hear race. We are one. Don't you know that's my role as the Indian here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is already great. Uh, so, we're, so just, just, just to be clear, you, so you know I'm a black guy, Hari. Would you like to claim what race you are? Do you want to, are, you, are you uncomfortable with that? Uh, I, I'm an Indian guy. We can discuss what that means to both of us at another time because I feel like that's a full episode. It could be yes, our anti-Columbus Day episode very easily. Um, we should do that. I we should have that. an Indian. That'd be great. 
who's who's the most Indian? And then we could just have it like a Yo Mama jokes kind right. of thing. It'd be pretty hilarious. Is it weird that I feel like, Hari, you need to clear up what type of Indian you are? Is it weird that I feel that way? I mean, yeah, it's a little strange, but I get it. Okay. okay uh, well. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. I just, just I just want to I just want to own my awkwardness. I'm just, we're, we're the Indians from India, and they're uh, the Indians not from India. And we're not. Yeah. You're the one that still has 20 million people on your country, and yeah. we're not. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We're, I think it's funny. <laughs> That's good. It's like I don't a, think genocide is funny, but at some point you just kind of have to laugh at the idea that it's uh, that I'm one half of one percent of the world's population, and I still can't, uh, you know, understand why I spent most of my youth single. You know, you think it'd be a rare commodity to be a single Native American man, but <laughs> you know, oh, it's one of those, you know. But no, I, I like how you're tr- you are aiming for the exotification angle. Like that's your that's your move. Like, hey, there's like not that many of us, so you know, this is special. See, so, you now, hey, girl, you know, there's not too many of us. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> well, thank you for first of all, uh, thank you for joining us and. A lot of our listeners have reached out to us to, uh, to talk to someone about what's going on uh, in in the neck of the woods that you're in. Uh, I don't even want to say what neck of the woods because that's how ignorant I am on the subject. It took me a little while to figure out exactly where I was going. I had to set the GPS. You know, we, we, we got pretty riled up. You know, I was back in Washington State and on my reservation and there was, a, you know, there was uh, some action happening, some nonviolent protests out here. Uh, they call it Earth Guardianship on this side of the the woods, but um, so I, when I plugged it into Google Maps, I was uh, a lot clearer where I was going, and I found my way to Cannonball, and out here to the to the camps, where uh, you know, estimated eight to nine thousand Native American people and 166 tribes have come through to show solidarity to uh, the No Dapple movement, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Could you explain the movement to people who, who don't know? And also, you said cannonball and what that means. Sure. The Cannonball River uh, it runs runs through the Standing Rock Reservation and enters into the Missouri River. Uh, about a, I would say, a half mile, but I couldn't be exact. There is a path uh, by the Dakota Access Pipeline that they plan to dig 65 feet underneath the river and lay a crude oil pipeline across the river. This is within a short distance to a whole community of Native American people in Cannonball, North Dakota. And currently the camps that are set up uh, for this movement, for this earth guardianship, this international stage for, uh, you know, earth guardianship is, is right here at the connection between the Cannonball River and the Missouri. How did it start? How did How did this movements start and why did you decide to go or was it a group decision to go originally it started with a woman LaDonna brave bull allard and her and some women were on her traditional homeland here on the cannonball river at the sacred stone camp a very spiritual place for them and it was very few people they gathered together and they prayed that more help would come so that they could find a way to save the community from this pipeline essentially poisoning the river. It, it is written in some prophecies as the black snake. There was a prophecy that was told to me that there would be an iron black snake and that the waters would turn black. And this is one of the prophecies of many that have been shared with us over the past three weeks that I've been here uh, about some of the traditional stories of their people. And it's a very spiritual movement of traditional Native people who truly believe that this is uh, an international incident that might lead to the end of the world, essentially. What do you mean the end of the world? Like wh- when, when, what does that belief mean? And I know that sounds ridiculous, because, but like, what does it mean when people say that polluting this river would mean the end of the world? Like, how does that look? Or is it the end of the world, like end of their world or their culture as they know it? Or do they literally mean the, the end of the world? I believe it's, it's meant as the end of the world. And there are several native prophecies that 
are shared aren't shared widely that hint at these situations if you can call it a situation uh, you know act, you know pipelines that go through you know drinking water that affects 20 to 30 million people um, might change the course of history and that's the scale the magnitude of this it's it's like it's like a horrific action movie except that this isn't something you can walk away with at the end of the day and say hey that was a pretty good movie you know remember when the rock saved the world that's not what's happening here they're talking about a pipeline that's not really built to survive the extreme temperatures and um, the kind of corrosiveness that crude oil puts into the pipelines and once it's broken open into the water it's going to travel all the way down the into the Mississippi and it's going to poison the drinking water for millions of people. And that's why this earth guardianship and the land protectors and the water protectors are here. They are the first peoples of the United States and continue to believe that working within the indigenous philosophies that are still left to us by our ancestors will be the way that we are able to start to change the environmental outcome of all of these tragedies that are happening because of mega oil corporations wanting to continue to pump this fossil fuel philosophy uh, into the mainstream media. What made you decide I have to be there? I was sitting at home and I was watching on Facebook and I was already moved by uh, the actions that I had been watching. I, I saw the horses introducing themselves to the police and this is what they call counting coup. The, uh, the horses are introduced and they dance and they move around. And I was, I was struck, a chord was struck within me that I understood that this is the time that it's, we need to stand up and participate and, and, and by any means necessary, protect and, and defend and, and honor the traditions that I was given as a child. They, they laid dormant within me for many years that I, and I knew about them, but there's never been a situation like this where you have this international stage where the world is watching as, you know, the seven council fires of what they call the Ocheti Sakowin, the great Sioux nations came together since, I believe, 1876, you know, the, the greasy grass, uh, the battle of Little Bighorn. When you have small moments that you realize this is a historical situation, you, you, you react quickly. And that's what I did. I decided that it was time for me to be, uh, to bring my voice, my artistic uh, vision here so that I could, could, I could observe. So I'm here as an observer. I'm here as a traditional native who, who grew up with a very strong family, uh, who really believe that when it's time for family to come together, that there's no excuses. There's nothing that can be done. That as a man, as a, as a warrior, you step up and you provide your help and your services to your communities. And, and it's not always glamorous. You know, the people that are here aren't doing sensational things, you know, cutting firewood and, uh, you know, making sure everyone has clean drinking water, making sure everyone has proper blankets and they're warm. And, you know, a lot of just taking care of community is what a true warrior is about. And that's what they're doing here is providing uh, protection and, and comfort to the people. You know, th this movement has gotten a lot of attention online. It's been a trending topic on Twitter. And I sort of can't help but think about the connections to like Black Lives Matter in Ferguson, how, you know, this was this, uh, this event in this one city, black people from all over the country felt like they had to go there and just observe or, or be of service. And sort of out of that comes a national movement or more strength behind the movement of Black Lives Matter. Do you think this is an opportunity for Native Americans to you know, get the kind of national attention that uh, you all have needed for such a long time? I don't. I really don't. And I think it has more to do with numbers and it has to do with Facebook algorithms and it has to do with people's priorities, it has to do with TMZ always reporting on what Kanye is doing. It has to do with our American infatuation with uh, commercial success and you know, being an American idol. It, it's just generationally a different time than when I was younger. I don't necessarily think that this translates to anything. Black Lives Matter did come out here and showed some solidarity and the photos are online. And um, there were some incidents at uh, non-violent non, non -violent protests 
where the private security firms for Dakota Access Pipeline were actually African-American. And there is some interesting dialogue between some of the Earth Guardianship and and the African-American security guards asking them, um, with everything that you've been through, with everything that your people have been through, why would you stand on the other side of the fence? Why would you stand over there and protect them? And at that point, I'd had a picture. I, I saw a picture of a, one of the contractors from Texas, and he had a Make America Great Again hat in his windshield, mm. and he was wearing an Indy Cross ring. And I was there to witness this. I was there for this. This is when Happy American Horse Jr. attached himself to a cat. And at that point, we had questions as to why, where people's allegiances were racially because we're doing the same thing that I, I would hope that African-Americans would have done for in Flint, Michigan, for their children. And so it does bring up provocative questions uh, in race relationships that why are we being the ones that are being targeted for our race when in fact our children only represent maybe a few thousand of the 20 million who will be affected when the Missouri River is poisoned with oil? And where are those where are they when when they have an opportunity to stand in solidarity with us? And I think that's become one of the questions that we've had on a serious note. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk because there's certainly a lot of cynicism and, and maybe rightfully so. But when you fight a fight, that comes with some hope, right? That there will be some direct change, right? That's That's why you fight. So, I mean, how do you balance those two things? Because hearing you talk, it's like it's both like very, uh, you know, both heartbreaking and moving. And I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, it's energizing, but you're also like, oh, is, is, is there no, it's so complicated. Because we know what it's like to be ashamed of ourselves. We know more than any other race in America what it feels like to have to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, knowing full well that we're standing on the graves of 400 million of our own relatives. We know what it's like to get in line and to pretend that we're not upset about those kind of things. We understand what happened to the African-American people of our country. And we understand what it's like to be a Mexican who is told that they're not welcome here and that they need to be to get out. But yet all of our produce and all of our restaurants are fueled by that. And you start to wonder, what does it mean to be American anymore? Because I don't think that anyone really has an idea of, of what this country was built upon. And, and that's, that's what we go through. And so uh, we have a historical uh, soul. It's built in our DNA that we've already fought this war before. Ben Alex, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Like in Continue <laughs> to share the word. You have an international platform. Continue to pay attention to believe that this isn't just an Indian issue. This isn't the Indian problem that they uh, had with native people 500 years ago. This is, we're Americans, you know, we're American citizens. This isn't, we're not out here in our feathers and, and beadwork doing something completely separate from what happens in daily life. We all have our favorite football teams. We all have our favorite foods. We all watch our favorite television shows. It's We're American citizens, and we're out here fighting for American rights. And no one else is joining us out here except the select few because they don't really think it affects them. But I'll tell you, they're going to think that really quick. They're gonna, I, I'm going to say that they're going to understand very quickly when a pipeline bursts in the Missouri River and 20 million Americans don't have clean drinking water. And then they're going to say, the Indian people told us this was going to happen. So this is an op- opportunity to not be a footnote in American history and say that they told us so and instead say we did it. And at least that's a sliver of what the American dream was supposed to be. We did it. We fixed it. We, we made it better. Is there a place where our listeners um, could send money or write letters or send supplies? Or is the main thing you think we should do is just spread the word? I always say, you know, spread the word. Sacredstonecamp.org is a great place. And they work within this administration here to make sure that everybody has what they need. So that's that's sacredstonecamp.org. Uh, and 
supplies and donations can always be delivered in person and you'll be welcomed. You, you, you'd be surprised. Someone comes with a pickup truck full of things that are going to be welcomed in and offered buffalo stew and a place by the fire and a place to camp. Uh, there's a school here where kids can sit and learn Lakota language. There, there's all kinds of things to do. Ride a canoe, you know, learn a song. Like this is a community. It's a village. It's, it's, it's just a, a place to really come and, and learn a little bit about who we are as a people and, and what brings us together and what's, what's great about us as a, as a culture. I say you guys should come out here. You should come out and experience mm-hmm. it, even if it's for a day. Just come out and see what it's like to be here. You know what I think? I I I really want to, and I think there's a chance that it might happen through another through another avenue. Uh, this show does not have the budget to even uh, send us across the street for bananas, but uh, <laughs> I have dang because I was I just going to ask you for some banana money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man, no banana hey, money cousin. on this show. Hey cousin, I thought you said you were going to give me some banana money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, break the man. You guys, you guys are practically related. <laughs> break, break the man off some banana money. Uh, very bizarre second cousins. <laughs> second cousins through Columbus. <laughs> well, uh, well, I just want to say thank you for for joining us today. Thank you for letting us call you. Thank you for letting us. We put this together fairly quickly. You didn't, you know, you sort of let us invade your day uh, after you and let our ancestors. My you know, well, we're used to invaders. I was gonna say. I was like, I can't believe I said invade. I can't believe it's I said genetic. Invade. It's, 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 it's been built into my code. Uh, and it wasn't even really my people's fault, but we're complicit. Anyway, uh, thank you for letting us call. And I think the the big takeaway, I feel like, is like I, this is the first. I mean, I've read some articles on this, but the connection to this is about this. If this pipeline breaks, it's 20 million. It's not an Indian issue. It's an America issue. And I think which although American Indian issue should be American issue. So there's this is so complicated. And, but I'm really happy that you called in and let us talk to you for a little bit. Appreciate it. And again, it's not complicated. It's very simple. This is a fight to protect the drinking water of 20 million people. If they don't have this water from the Missouri and the Mississippi, where are they going to drink their water? Do we really want to have cases of water going for $50 at Walmart? And that's the situation that we'll be in if we continue to allow these these situations to happen. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, and and I appreciate the fact that you just corrected me on my podcast. <laughs> it's not complicated; it's simple. I appreciated right it too. <laughs> yeah. I was well, laying on you. the couch watching TV three months ago, and now I'm out here, you know, doing what I can. So that's I know that anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much, Ben Alex. It's it's been an honor to talk to you, brother, and and we appreciate it. Thank yes, you. And we we will get the word out. Nice. Thanks. Hold up. Wait a minute. So we reached out to Ben Alex, and he told us that the government decision to pause construction on federal land didn't really change his outlook much. This decision would de-escalate the tension near the river a little bit, he said, but there are still many challenges to come. Here's what he told me, quote, It's still primed for a standoff with natives and oil corporations. Both Hillary and Trump support drilling in big oil. This voluntary stay only affects 3% of the pipeline construction. They're waiting to get past the election, and with 97% of a pipeline built, who knows what'll happen. Meanwhile, it's getting colder on the plains, and that'll create a new kind of test of people's will and determination." End quote. Also, you can check out a short interview Ben Alex did with Vice earlier this week. We'll post a link to the video in our show description. Man, that dude is intense. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so. (laughs) Yes. I mean, absolutely incredible. And and I feel like we're lucky that he he called us, um, you know, on short notice. And he's so passionate. And I also find it amazing that, like, you know, this is somebody who clearly is uh, in pain, rightfully so, from all the things that he has seen. And at the same time, you know, still has that fight in him. So, really, it's, it's admirable. He's great. Yeah. And hilarious. Yes. <laughs> in a way that sometimes, like, I f- it's funny, in a way that sometimes I feel like when people talk about me, I don't know if I should laugh at this. That's right. how I felt a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, well, let's get to some of these tweets. Our first tweet is from Jaylene Chung. She says, politically reactive is a great way to not feel totally shitty about eating dinner at 10 p.m. while on Tinder. 
Is that true? <laughs> I mean, not that I would know, but I'm just I'm just wondering if we we've solved that problem for people. Well, yeah, you're not a Tinder man. If we as we've covered, uh, you're a Bumble man. Yeah, I well, I was. Yeah. I'm off it now. I'm clean. I'm clean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is an addiction, isn't it? It's a problem. It's yeah. so terrible. I like. I like to think of Jaylene multitasking. <laughs> it's like she's eating dinner at 10 p.m. on Tinder, swiping left and right while listening to us uh, hilariously break down political movements and politics. Hey, Jaylene, let us know if you see any profiles that mention our podcast, because that would be kind of cool. Maybe she should go out on a date with somebody who mentions politically reactive. Yeah, it might be good if you have Tinder or Bumble to also mention politically reactive. And I'm not saying this because it's a really <sighs> terrible advertising attempt, but I think it would help you find your soulmate. So it's like, I'm into uh, long walks on the beach, uh, I'm into hiking, and politically reactive. I mean, if you're into politically reactive, you're less likely to send a dick pic. I, I, don't, I don't know that we know that's true, but we'll just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> Our next tweet is from uh, Henry Michael Stotts. Hmm, no mention of third-party candidates. Can we get some of that? Politically reactive. Okay, first of all, you will get some of that, sir. Secondly, why do you sound like a lone gunman, Henry Michael Stotts? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> also, this is from a, a little while ago, so I think we have mentioned third-party candidates, but right. we are going to have an episode that has a more in-depth discussion of some third-party candidates, specifically uh, uh, Jill Stein. Uh, but yeah, we will, we will be talking about Jill, Jill Stein, and maybe one day we can talk to Jill Stein. Hey, Jill Stein. Hi, Jill Stein. Us. Hello. This next tweet is from Ben. How have your Swiss fan bases reacted since your latest Robert Wright episode of Politically Reactive? That was to you, Hari. So I don't have to answer this question. Okay. Well, uh, they didn't react at all because they're neutral. That's how they felt about it. <laughs> they had no reaction whatsoever. That's why I fucking hate Switzerland. Oh, boy. I, I, I would like to be able to travel to Switzerland. So that's just him. The next one from Kira Traber. I'm sorry if I'm Traber. saying that wrong. Traber. OMG, I love Politically Reactive so much, even though I'm a dual Swiss citizen. Smiley face. All right, I get it, I get it. Switzerland, I made a joke. All right, all right. Is it a joke, though? It seems you don't get that fired up about many things. No, it's Uh, it's such a joke. It's such such a joke. Give back that Nazi gold. (laughs) (laughs) This next one's from Shabir Ahmed. When I hear Giuliani say Black Lives Matter was inherently racist, I thought of Politically Reactive and the George Wallace story. Well, that's, that feels good that we were, we were useful in dealing yeah, with also, your rage. Also, what up, Shabir? Uh, he is a Denzelit. Oh, my God. Hey, yeah. crossover. Crossover. Yeah. Denzel Washington's the greatest actor of all time, period. Check that podcast out, too. I hear it's really good. <laughs> the next one's from uh, Rosalind Sebastian. Kathleen Hanna's Politically Reactive episode about picking a generic white guy for VP sounds almost prophetic now. I cannot respond to that because I promised Kathleen I would not tell people she was a prophet. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's it's funny. Both candidates, Trump and uh, Hillary, both of the leading mainstream candidates, Trump and Hillary, both picked generic white guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of me, is it, is it really prophetic? It kind of is like the way it has always been, except that one time. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of like it was a safe guess. Wait, who, and it's funny, and by that one time, do you mean when McCain picked Sarah Palin? Oh, right, right. And then there's the Geraldine Ferraro, and yeah. that would be it. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. And also, let's remember, Barack Obama picked generic white guy. We, we love that generic white guy now, but back when he picked him, it was like, who's this generic white guy? right, right. right. This next one is from Mail My. Thanks, Politically Reactive, for introducing me to woke-as-fuck sports guy, Edge of Sports. Could listen to you talk Olympics for hours. Look at that. We yeah. we introduce sports to people. Dave Zirin. Shout out to Dave Zirin. Yeah. No, he, and Dave can talk sports for hours. Dave can pretty much talk for hours. <laughs> Dave could have done that podcast by himself. I, I said that when he was on. I feel like we could just, we could just, I feel like if you just sort of were, there should be like a, a web page that you can just go to or stream just to hear Dave's iron talking. Because if you just, you just go to him, he's probably talking right now about sports and politics. Yeah. And it's definitely going to be smart and funny. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Jay Ham K, and Ham is in brackets. But that's not important because the Twitter handle is at Nurse Murderer. Huh. 
which is ironic considering that this is the tweet. Listening to Pastor Michael McBride on Politically Reactive made my ass want to go to church. Love some W. Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu. Uh, maybe you should go to a Catholic church and confess a few things because <laughs> I did not like that Twitter name at all. And there might be a story. I'm sure there's a story behind it, but it better be a really good story, sir, because that's very frightening. <laughs> that Twitter handle is hard to come back from if you ever get accused of doing anything wrong. <laughs> oh, God. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to come back from that because soon oh, people no. go... Their Twitter handle is at Nurse Murder. It's like, well, then they did whatever they're being accused of. Well, 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 well. Uh, I would argue that it was a doctor that he murdered. So you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. No, come on now, so. it's different. The Elmira Radio Hour said Shane Bowers' Mother Jones investigation on private prisons changed policy, and they gave a shout out to Reveal, which Shane was on the Reveal podcast, and to Politically Reactive because Shane came on our podcast. So basically. Uh, his investigation helped change private prison policy. What happens is that the federal government said they are not going to uh, use private prisons anymore. Uh, that does not mean that the state government won't. State governments won't. But uh, yeah, the federal government will not. And people are saying that Shane's piece played a part in that. So uh, and because he was on our show, so did we. The next one. We're all going to win the Pulitzer. We're all going to win the Pulitzer. We're all going to win the Pulitzer. Also, I would definitely check out uh, that particular episode because I thought it was uh, very funny considering we were talking about the horror of prisons. Yes. <laughs> I believe that's what uh, the New York Times said in their review of that episode. Very funny considering they're talking about the horror of prisons. <laughs> uh, the next one is a two-parter from Dan Berger. Hari Kundabolu and W. Kamau Bell, thanks for the ongoing discussion of John Brown. But Harriet Tubman didn't turn him down. Tubman helped plan the Harper's Ferry raid, but was too sick to participate that day. Hashtag politically reactive. Okay, look, I know I've been getting a lot of heat for the things I've said <laughs> about John Brown, who I love. I love the abolitionist John Brown, but like I've gotten some heat for saying that he might have been a little out of his mind because like he was planning a raid of Harper's Ferry with thousands of people and only 17 showed up and he still went on with it as opposed to maybe, you know, rallying the troops. Uh, and I always found that a little off. And also I mentioned the fact that Frederick Douglass was, you know, he approached Frederick Douglass about this. Frederick Douglass was like, no, and Harriet Tubman didn't go as well, even though, um, you know, she was offered a chance to go. Um, I will say... And, for, and apparently helped plan it. Apparently helped plan it, according to Dan Berger. Yes. And, and first of all, I will say, yeah, I've called in sick when I didn't want to do a thing as well. And... Uh, <laughs> So I'm not saying that's what Harriet Tubman did. I'm just saying that there, that possibility could have uh, arisen. Uh, but I know uh, I've, I've annoyed a lot of people. Again, I love John Brown. I've written jokes about how much I love John Brown. We need more John Brown white people. Um, so I apologize for all this uh, John Brown angst I've created. Uh, and also uh, a shout out to uh, Damien from D.C., who's a, a homie of uh, Dave Zirons. Damien. Uh, I got your message. I'm sorry. I will try to read that book. Wow. You got a lot of heat over that, apparently. Oh, man. I never... I mean, I love John Brown. I have jokes about John Brown, so I never knew that would be the downfall of my career. <laughs> that, now you have a controversy section on your Wikipedia page. John Brown didn't bring down uh, slavery, but he's bringing Hari Kondabolu down, apparently. <laughs> the next one's from AJ. Of all the accusations lobbed at Barack Obama, I'm surprised being in the pocket of big cocoa butter isn't one of them. Hashtag politically reactive. First of all, I hope to God you're a person of color. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and, and secondly, I'll tell you, I, I would sell out to Big Cocoa Butter. I, you know, I, I would. And I think Big Cocoa Butter would be Palmer's, uh, which, by the way, why aren't we getting a Palmer's endorsement? I would love a Cocoa Butter endorsement. I've been talking about this for years. I am a big fan of Palmer's Cocoa Butter. Yeah, why doesn't why doesn't Palmer's Cocoa Butter hit us up and and uh and uh you know get take out an ad for the episode? We'd love to do a Palmer's Cocoa Butter ad. And you know what the best place to put on some Palmer's is while sitting on your Helix Sleep mattress. <laughs> Helix Sleep. <laughs> right after you had a big meal of Blue Apron. Mmm. See, see what we can do for you, Palmer's Cocoa Butter. We weren't even asked to do those plugs. We just did them because we want you to invest in us. And our skin. I got this tweet right here from uh, Shona Black. Uh, Desperately scrambling for a skill so I can be in Dream Hamptons cadre. 
Um, so this is a reference <laughs> to the Dream Hamptons episode. We were talking about like po- post-apocalyptic skills. Is that right? Like for the revolution? Yeah, yeah. For the revolution, yeah, post- right? Yeah, your post-apocalyptic skill, and as we found out in the Dreamhampton episode, you can't just say like, "I'm a I'm a people person," no. and uh, I'm I tell uh, jokes. Really, yeah, I'm, a, I'm funny. I'm really fun. people just like hanging out with me. No, it's got to be like she like she's a pilot, and so we've got a lot of tweets on that subject of yeah. people realizing they don't have a post-apocalyptic skill and realizing it, and also. Dreamhampton's cadre is going to be huge because yeah. everybody wants to be in Dreamhampton's cadre. I mean, honestly, there's always room for food. What's wrong with being food? You know, that, that's, <laughs> that's a respectable job in at the end of the world. Who doesn't want to be food? We're going to need yeah, food. That, I feel like you're saying that like you would just be food. Like you, they would just be like, hurry, it's time to eat. And you just put your arm out and people just, I'm, 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 thanks, I mean, man. Like, no problem. Well, I would, I mean, I, you would hope that they would give everybody like, you know, one more day, you know, or, or last words. I mean, preferably, I'd like to go out with a routine. I just don't want to die. I'd like to do one more set if I'm going to go. See, you're already ruining the apocalypse because we don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time. Everybody sit down. I know the sky is black from nuclear holocaust, and we have to get underground before night falls. Just give me 15 Earth, minutes. Just give me 15 Earth. minutes. I just want to. <laughs> I got some new stuff. I got, I got some, some new stuff. stuff, and it's the last stuff. So let me just get it out. <laughs> no, that's we're not doing that. Tori Kennedy is uh, has some feedback for us. If politically reactive is taking critiques. Maybe please stop saying mic drop so much because it's not on fleek anymore. I don't know what either of those things really means to be perfectly honest. This mic drop business, I only started saying because you started saying it. And I, I'm assuming you started saying it because somebody younger than you started saying it. Is that right? Yeah, or somebody on Twitter said it. I yeah. don't know what, how, how old they were, but I, I, saw it, I saw it in a bunch of tweets from the kids. And I was like, oh, is that the new thing we're saying? Not on I, fleek. I don't. I, yeah, no, it's. I'm trying. I think this is a totally legitimate critique. We will stop saying mic drop so much. I, mean, I, will, I will pledge to stop saying mic drop. I only I feel have like... a limited number of things I can say. I don't know what these terms mean. I'm attempting uh, you know, to draw some from younger people. I still say the word herb, which was you know, really a, a short-term <laughs> 90s hip-hop term, right? Like, like I still use old 90s hip-hop slang that didn't even take off. Very few people <laughs> called people herbs, and I still call people herbs. So, like... Look, I'm, I'm going to say on fleek. I'm going to say mic drop. It's going to sound like your dad saying it, but uh, what are you going to do? All right. So we got an email. This was something we got a lot of comments on this. It was something I said on an episode. It was on the Pastor Mike episode, one of the legendary uh, politically reactors. I think that's when people were like, this show is politically reactive. Yes. Uh, so we, it's about Latinos being invited into whiteness. We got a lot of comments about this. This email is from David. You briefly touched on something in an early episode regarding different groups quote-unquote, becoming white. In the U.S., the Irish, Italians, and now maybe Latinos. I would love to hear you guys expand upon this more in your listener input episode. I'm a progressive from a conservative Italian-American family that lives in Arizona. Some in family like to believe that the Italians jumped off the boat speaking English in their Harikondabolu style USA jackets. <laughs> and, and all was well. Uh, hold hold up, wait le- a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. Um, oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's referencing the jacket I wear on my album, Mainstream American Comic, and which I also wore on our old television show, Totally Buy. So that is what he's referencing. I love how you just did a live hold up, wait a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. Hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I would like that to become slang. Like people just do that in real life. Hold up, wait a minute. People up, have minute. done that during, uh, like after shows. They've done it after shows I've performed. Not during shows because I would be furious. But oh, uh, God, you, would, you would turn into you would turn into such substitute teacher. Going oh mad. yeah, like oh, how dare yeah. you interrupt yeah. me? I have prepared this for you. <laughs> <laughs> for you. Uh, so anyway, to continue, uh, he said the, some in his family like to believe that Italians jumped off the boat speaking English in their Harikondabolu style USA jackets and all was well. This leads to some less than welcoming views towards Mexican and other Latin American immigrants, some of whom I assume are good people. Ah, getting a Trump quote in there. The convenient revision of history makes me want to bang my head on a wall. David is referring to the Pastor Mike episode, as I said, and this is the part he's referring to. You'll even find books that talk about when Irish became white, when Jews mm-hmm, became white. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of great literature out there that talk about, um, you know, the the progression of certain European immigrants into whiteness. And it, don't you think it's happening with Latinos, too? Like Latinos are being invited into whiteness? Oh, they're certainly being invited. And, you know, if you know, 
Now, you know, I don't mean to sound crass, but what fool wouldn't want to be white in this country? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you get to, like, you know, wave a gun at an officer and don't get shot. You get to crash the economy, don't go to jail. Just to clarify this a little bit, not clarify, but to under to be clear what I was talking about in that moment. Doesn't mean that I was right to talk about it or that I even know what I'm talking about. But I have a solo show that I do at colleges called the W. Kamau Bell Curve, Ending Racism in About an Hour. And in that show, I talk a lot about the census and how the census is how people get divided into race. And if you look at the census form, you can find out what your country think a, thinks a race is. The census form in the UK is way different than ours. Uh, you, know, you know, And so I think you, if you look at the United States census form, you'll notice that Latino or Hispanic, depending upon which one is uh, more your speed, uh, is not on the census as a race. It doesn't appear on the census as a race. It is considered an ethnicity. It's got its own separate category. What I meant by invited into whiteness is that Latinos on the census are basically allowed to check white if they want to. Uh, you know, and as we know, if you're Spanish, you it, that means you're European. That means you you would check white probably, I guess. I don't know. So what I meant that is that, you know, as we said, America always sort of expands the definition of white depending upon who they want to give benefits to. And I feel like at this point in history, because Latinos are the fastest growing demographic, Latinos are sort of being invited into that white box. That's what I was saying there. I, I don't mean that Latinos want to be in that white box or that they're, or that they're excited about it. That was saying that the idea that the, that the United States, as the demographic grows bigger, are going to invite more and more invite Latinos into that white box. And also, uh, Pastor Mike referenced a really great book. He uh, talked about how the Irish became white, which is a book by Noel Ignatiev, which if you have not read you absolutely should read. And also there's a great video on the MTV News segment Decoded, hosted by Francesca Ramsey, who was amazing, called Are Hispanics White? And you should check it out. Yeah, she's, she's great. We should just have her on the show. She was also on Larry Wilmore's show yep. uh, right before it was canceled. So, yeah, she's great. We should just have her on the show. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to be. Obvi- and also the other thing about Latinos is that, you know, you can be a quote-unquote dark-skinned Latino, and you can be a light-skinned Latino. So it's a it's it's complicated, and I don't know enough about it to keep talking about it. <laughs> this, uh, this next uh, message is from Layla. I moved to Portland, Oregon in April. I got my heart stomped on by my long-term partner. As a light-skinned person of color, I've been feeling super alone in white, white, white land. I left all my support networks to move here, and I work in the woods in a field dominated by old white dudes. I just want to say thanks. Your work is helping me get through a rough patch. Listening to your show makes me feel less alone. I know y'all deal with a whole ton of bullshit. I just want to say you're doing a good job. Thank you, Layla. I'm sorry that you're having a rough time right now. I know we all hit those moments. I think also in terms of, uh, you know, we've all dealt with heartbreak. And I think Kamau and I have also dealt with situations of being uh, very dark and very white places. And so if we... Uh, are your friends through this? We appreciate that. Yeah, and I, uh, I know a little bit about this. I've been to Portland many times, and also I, I talked about gentrification in Portland and how white Portland is in an episode of United Shades of America. And some people felt like I portrayed Portland incorrectly by saying it was so white. And there are certainly people of color in Portland. It's just there the pockets of there's pockets of people of color, and they're getting pushed further outside the city, and those pockets are getting smaller and smaller. But I will say that doesn't mean there aren't people of color there. I'm just going to float this name by. I hope it's okay. Intasar Abioto, who is at Black Portlander on Twitter, she has an art project where she goes around the city, and when she sees black people, I don't know if you're black, but I'm sure she would talk to you too. When she sees black people, she takes she asks if she can take a picture of them, and she puts them on her website. It's about where she shows black people of Portland because that's how, as I say in the episode, that's how few black people there are in Portland and you can turn them into an art project. So uh, I would say, you know, re- when you see people of color in Portland, I think Portland's one of the places it's perfectly legitimate to walk up to them and go, oh, my God, can I be your friend? <laughs> <laughs> it's like more than the minority head nod that you give other people yes, of color yes. when you see them in a white place. You can give, like, a minority hug. Like, it's yeah, that, yeah. like, thank God. Water, think, are I, you a mirage? I, right. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, the uh, people of color of Portland are open to that. So I would say literally reach out to people and say, hey, I'm new in town and this city is killing my spirit. Because I think there are a lot of great people in Portland and you just have to connect to the communities. And, but it certainly, I feel your pain. I feel, it's funny, I think we did pretty good on that one because we just did Dear Prudence together, which is the advice podcast. With uh, the very funny and brilliant and kind Mallory Orthberg. This next one is from Joanna. 
Hey there, guys. I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the episode with Pastor Michael McBride. I'm a vegetarian, quote-unquote, liberal arts atheist white girl from Canada, basically the stereotypical opposite of a black American preacher. And yet, and yet, <laughs> it's written twice, <laughs> I really loved this guy, and I loved what he had to say, and I even loved his more historically accurate portrayal of Jesus. I got to say, if this man had been the one to present religion to me at a young age, well, I still might not have faith, but I would probably have stayed in and enjoyed the community. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just a bleeding heart liberal. I'm a Canadian, all caps, bleeding heart liberal. And every week, you guys turn my heart to ice and take a big dump all over it, and somehow I love it. <laughs> I was with her till the very end. I was totally like, oh, this, and then I I don't. Usually when people, maybe it's different in Canada, but usually. Is that when a pe- Canadian expression? I'm wondering because if usually people are like, oh, you warmed my heart. And usually taking sh- shits on people is generally seen as bad. But in Canada, maybe it's like you turned my heart to ice. We love ice hockey. And you yeah. took a big dump all over it, and I have no explanation for that. But well, is the I don't want to get too much into this because it's taking us in a different direction. But is the <laughs> dump warming the heart? Is that what it is? Like because a warm a big dump is warm, so is that melting her heart? Oh, but there's so many other things that are warm, Kamau. There are so <laughs> many other things that are warm. But, but in Canada, there's kind of a survivalist mentality because they don't have like electricity up there or running water. So uh, is that what's happening? Nonetheless. Thank you, Joanna. We do get the sentiments. <laughs> That's so funny. I love the fact that she says, I love the atheist thing. Like, I still wouldn't believe in God, but I'd hang out. Like, it's <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> Pastor Mike's magic is not that powerful. I'd uh, still have gotten rid of the God thing. But I'd hang. the funny thing is, is that his church is right around the street from my house. Like, it's right, not a, right around the corner, but it's within a mile of my house. And I keep going like, oh, I should go. And every Sunday I wake up and like, <laughs> but not this Sunday. Like, oh, I'm just, my God. I, and you and love him I've, too. That's the other. I love him, but it's like, do I take the kids? Because I don't have. I travel a lot. I don't have a lot of time to hang out with my kids. I kind of don't want to take. <laughs> I don't want my daughter to be bored at his church. That seems like a bad look. So I just, I'm just sort of, I'm struggling without it. But I'll get there. I'll get there. Uh, this next message is from SD. I have no idea how to start this email because that first sentence is just excruciatingly <laughs> awkward sounding. But oh well. I am a deeply politically charged 14-year-old white girl from Iowa City, Iowa. And that is what my question is about. What can I do in my young and white position to possibly contribute to the Black Liberation or Black Lives Matter movement? I have already made a change within my school district. There was a clear discrimination going on in our schools against minorities, especially against African-American students. And I brought this to the attention of our school board with a few friends, and now they're making policy and training changes. But what do I do now? I just want to know if you have any ideas of more I can do to help the cause. First of all, I'm about to cry alone in a sound booth. Secondly, what kind of super kid are you? Like, this is <laughs> one of the most remarkable. I mean, part of me is like, are we being catfished? Like, how? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> how is this human exist? This is. A 14-year-old white girl from Iowa City, Iowa, that is asking us how to contribute further to the Black Lives Matter movement, how to create, you know, more justice um, in her community. Like, I I don't even know how to respond to this because it's so beautiful. First of all, kid, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I, I think I can speak for Kamau um, and say that we're incredibly proud of you, even though we don't know you. And the fact you exist gives... Us hope because that is, that is so remarkable. I, come on, you want to talk? Because I'm trying to figure out how to. <laughs> this is so amazing. I mean, I feel like I'd like to open this up to the listeners because I'm sure there's a lot of we have a really smart, uh, politically aware audience, and I feel like maybe we should. I don't know. We 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 should do something like open it up to the listeners. Like, what do you think this 14 year old white girl from Iowa City should do? Because I feel like this seems like a good time for the hive mind. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel yeah. Like, that, like uh, because there's certainly uh, you know, Pastor Mike had a lot of ideas. And also, just to be clear, we have gotten a lot of emails like this from white listeners wanting to know how to help. Uh, so first, listen to the Pastor Mike episode if you haven't already. In fact, you know what? Let's play one part of it again right now. What would you say to a, a, a white person right now who wants to help but is somehow scrambling for what to do? So <clears throat> I'll say a couple of things. Now, you know, I hope folks don't get get too offended by what I'm about to say. So just brace yourself. Put your hands yeah. on your on your chair and just just hold on, baby. Hold on. Just let me finish before yeah. you just shut yeah. me off. Yeah. 
you have to do your own work of learning about the oppression of race, white supremacy, racial hierarchy. What does that mean? There's a great organization we work with called Showing Up for Racial Justice, uh, S-U-R-J, I think, .org or .com. Yeah. I would commission every white person uh, that is really serious about leaning into this moment around kind of ending racial hierarchy to take seriously the trauma that you have experienced, that all of us have experienced related to racial hierarchy. Do your own reading, your own studying around other white folk, because I have found in my organizing work over the years that most white folks showing up in racial justice spaces don't want to sound like a racist, so they can't bring their full self. Right. And so sometimes you need to be in an affinity group to kind of sound as terrible as you probably will say. <laughs> and, and, but you, I thought you, you said as terrible as you are. No, but no, you, no. You, soft, not, you, you just yeah. sound terrible, yeah, just like yeah. I sound terrible. Right. But you got to sound terrible around people that you really believe won't hold it against you <laughs> and, and give you a chance. Cause around every, your family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you need someone to check you. Though. It's like, yo, that, that wasn't cool. So, yeah, Politically Reactive listeners, why don't you tweet to the Politically Reactive hashtag and help Esty figure out what uh, she can do in Iowa City to help contribute to black liberation. I don't don't think I knew the phrase black liberation when I was 14. I mean, my mom was born woke. (laughs) It's really what more she can do because she's at 14. The fact that she's done as much as she has done is incredible to me. And, you know, it's amazing because I think part of it is young people are able to get information that they did not get before. Because I think when we were growing up, it was like your main source of information was your parents and like the government controlled schools. So like that's very limiting in terms of knowledge. And I think my cynicism tells me like the kids are just watching pornography and they don't care about anything. And I, and and I, and I read this and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like it it may, it, it honestly, it, um, it, it, it turns my heart to ice and takes a big dump all over it. It's just so <laughs> incredible. Yeah, you really don't know how to speak to the children. <laughs> Thanks, Joanna. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, let's uh, let's get the listeners to to chime in on what we can do, and maybe we'll read some of those on an upcoming episode. All right. So uh, I was not told about this. I kind of wish I, I could have vetoed this. I'm holding negative reviews in my hand. Ooh, Things that's... I try to steer clear of. Uh, so there's, we have some, uh, some iTunes review and every episode we ask people to please leave us a review. And if you go to iTunes, we have like our average review is like, it looks like we have five star, five stars. That does not mean everybody gives us five stars. That means most of you do. Thank you very much for not being uh, senseless haters. So yeah, so here we go. Some negative iTunes reviews. Oh, so this is one star and this one's called, Oh Look, that's the name of the review by A8819DFG on iTunes. And this is. Yet another middling podcast from Kamau. <laughs> is this so the, is this an anti Kamau bot whose name is A eight eight one nine D F G? Like, what is that? But the funny thing here is the thing I think is funny about this. Yet another means you've listened to several of my podcasts, <laughs> so that's one. So thanks for thanks for your downloads. Two middling means not the worst in the middle. I feel like if I'm in the middle of the podcast, I'm doing all right. Yeah. So thanks for the compliment. Yeah. I think you meant to put five stars. Yet another middling podcast from Kamau. Yeah, so that's like uh, at least a three star. What the hell is that? That's funny. It's just funny. People don't understand how the English language works. <laughs> uh, who think they do? Who think they do? Many people don't, but this guy clearly thinks he does. Okay. Uh, next one is just called The Worst, one star. Uh, this guy, I think it's directed towards me, and that'll become clear in a second. This guy is so politically correct, it makes me want to vomit. Mm. That's one of the highest compliments I could hear. If my political correctness makes people who aren't politically correct vomit, that's a superpower. That's so weird. Uh, African American, Indian, (laughs) uh, makes me vomit. Saying things like, I don't know everything about this topic, so I should be quiet and listen. (laughs) He's probably vomiting right now. Uh, This is the same guy who wanted Michael Phelps to not carry the flag for the the opening ceremonies. Uh, I'm, I'm correcting the grammar. I hate this stupid, comma, annoying podcast. I would rather listen to fingernails on a chalkboard for 45 minutes. 
if you want good liberal political comedy, listen to Bill Maher. Yeah, actually, if you don't like the podcast, please listen to Bill Maher. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why <laughs> no, you're wasting got, our time with us. Yeah, I got no problem with that. If you don't like me, you probably will like Bill Maher. That's totally legitimate. I don't have a problem with that. And based yet. on what so, you wrote, I love the fact that listening to this is, is almost like fingernails to a chalkboard for 45 minutes. I like the fact it makes you feel bad. Yeah, like what? How did? Why did you listen in the first place? I can't imagine that either of these people was like, "I love Kamau. He's so good." Oh, this podcast is the worst. Like, I don't know. Like, so... Where would you have come to me from to get to the podcast? So, anyway, and here's the last one, the last negative review. Thanks again, Max. This is from Cash Peters. The name already gives me some pause. Uh, the subject is: This could be so much better if only the hosts would shut up. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Two stars, so, I mean, you know, so politically, re- <laughs> politically reactive is one of the most irritating podcasts I have ever heard, even though it has the potential to be amazing. Smart, talented, witty hosts, fascinating guests, long-form, intelligent conversations about politics and the world. What can possibly go wrong? Let's find out. Here's what goes wrong. Try listening to the Robert Reich episode. Literally, Try. Kamau and Hurry keep interrupting him with bits, comments, music, excuses, <laughs> clarifications, <laughs> on and on. All added in post after the fact so they can keep on butting in. Hold up, wait a minute. Pardon the interruption, but I just wanted to take a second and thank all of you out there who commented on iTunes. We've been reading some of the negative reviews here, but all the good ones you've been leaving have done a lot to boost our show and spread the word to new listeners. So thank you, Marina Rodriguez G, Marazzle, JYLee21, Tofu Cream, and the rest of y'all. And yes, Cash, this interruption was for you. Back to the mailbag. You'd think they'd be self-conscious. You'd think they'd be self-conscious enough to say, hey, let's not interrupt so much. Let's focus on the guest and less on ourselves. Can't do it. <laughs> I guess their response <laughs> might be, our podcast, our rules. And I can't argue with that. But I'm an unhappy customer who can see how this could be so much better. If only they'd let it and <laughs> they'd let if only they'd let it and not try so hard. Sorry, guys. Really disappointed. Heard three episodes so far. The Robert Reich and Amy Goodman shows were both ruined by their interruptions. The Van Jones episode was better, but I still gave up with it. And we'll, <laughs> we'll check in in a few months to see if they've improved. I have a few things to say. <laughs> as a, I mean, because I think you've said most of it, sir. So I don't really think I need to say very much. Uh, first of all, you should listen perhaps to other things the guests have done, right? Because these guests are not like hidden figures like Amy Goodman as Democracy Now! Robert Reich has spoken publicly. So is Van Jones. You can He's hear... probably somewhere speaking, Robert right Reich is now. somewhere speaking right now. You yeah. can hear them talk without interruption. I think people listen to us because of the way we speak to the guests and for those things you consider interruptions, right? So that's that's part of the format uh, of this thing. Also, you refer to yourself as an unhappy customer. This is free, sir. <laughs> this is a free product. You are not a customer. This is free. You are being unhappy with free. And also, you said the Van Jones episode was better out of the three. That was the best out of the three you heard. I talked the least in that, so fuck you, sir. <laughs> fuck you, Cash. Yeah. <laughs> Now's the time I tell you that my pseudonym is Cash Peters. <laughs> <sighs> I I mean the thing is to be totally upfront about this this podcast is fairly new. We are trying things. Some things we try work. Some things we try don't work. And we're still figuring it out. And sometimes we plan interruptions and don't do them. That, you know, a lot of times right before it goes out, we're I'm like I'm on I'm like up at like two o'clock in the morning talking to Max and and uh, Ted. Like, no, pull that out or put that back in. I'll sing the Star Spangled Banner. Like, it's just all like right, so. Right. We, and also, this is a, you know, so I think 
certainly we are figuring out. I've heard other people say they don't like the interruption. So, you know, it may be that that will change or maybe that you just don't like the, the show. The vast I mean, majority you know, just... of the people like that part of it because they like us and our commentary and our thoughts. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think we should kind of keep going with what we're, you know, keep doing what we're doing because it seems to be effective. And even it's so effective that people keep listening despite the fact they have reservations about it. I wish this podcast wasn't so good so I could hate it more. What? <laughs> I like I did yeah. like the fact that we're really talented. That is true, sir. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh so here we go. A nice iTunes review. We had one. Thanks, Max. There was only one. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh great podcast, five stars. I'm a fifty year old white Republican. I know I should be listening to Limbaugh, Beck, and Hannity, but these guys make me laugh, and I'll occasionally learn something. No, I always learn something, even if it's just that Shakespeare was a woman. Don't stop. This podcast keeps me sane and balanced. Oh, my God. There you go. Is this a... I, huh. A 50-year-old white Republican. Come on, that's a new demographic for us. That's much more lucrative <laughs> than our current demographic. That's true. That's true. They have wow. 50-year-old white Republicans have disposable income. We can start we can start merchandising this show. That's so cool, man. I mean, honestly, that's that's what you want to hear. You want to hear that it's not just the choir. We know what the choir sounds like. That the fact that there are people who want to hear different voices and are intrigued by them and are open-minded enough to to see where this is going. So that's really great, man. That's fantastic. Yes, good. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. So we want to thank everyone for writing in, commenting. We really appreciate it. Please keep it coming. You know we love you. And before we go, we need to talk about something that is really important. Some of you may have seen that there are a lot of polls that show Donald Trump's numbers are uh, going up. So listeners, Trump can't win. And white people, this is really on you. And Kamau has been talking about this since last December with his friend Adam Madsback, the best-selling writer and cultural critic. And we're going to have Adam on the show later, so don't worry. Uh, Adam and Kamau started a Twitter campaign last year called Hashtag Whites Against Trump, which we need to revive now. Here's Kamau and Adam to explain it. Dear Adam, my best friend, who's not hurry. I posted this message on Facebook. I think you saw it, but if not, read it here. Donald Trump isn't a Republican issue or a rich people issue or a human issue. Donald Trump is a white people issue. Whenever Ben Carson says batshit crazy nonsense, black people rise up and let him know that he needs to sit the fuck down. Whenever Raven Simone pops off, we put her cap back on. We even handled Rachel Dolezal for you. Yes, we also make jokes and come up with clever memes and hashtags, but at the core of all that, we are letting these people know that they are embarrassing us as black people. It's time, white people, for you to finally step up and recognize that you also, even more so, have a responsibility to your race. It is up to you to silence Donald Trump. Don't just insult him and make fun of him. You have to connect it to your race. Recognize that he is embarrassing you as a white person. Simple snark won't win here. You have to feel it. You have to use words like, as a white person, and he is an embarrassment to my race. Stop acting like Trump isn't the pinnacle and the result of America's history and tradition of white supremacy. And again, P.S., simply put, white people, come get your boy. Okay, I know there's a lot too, as you white people say, unpack here, Adam. I'll let you do it. Thanks for reading this. Kamau. Dear Kamau, white people in this country never feel any need or any pressure to denounce or regulate or distance themselves from other white people when those white people act out of pocket. Black people and every other racial, ethnic, religious, sexual minority understand come get your boy all too well. Being forced to account for someone else's words or actions is particularly old hat for black people, as is being made to speak on behalf of all the black people as translators or apologists, whether they want to or not. Similarly, everybody but white people has become well acquainted with the feeling of, oh fuck, please don't let him be blank, while waiting to find out the identity of a criminal, an alleged criminal, hell, at this point, even a victim. All this is because whiteness is invisible, to white people anyway, the idea of checking Donald Trump just because he's white makes as much sense to us as the idea of chastising an elephant for taking a dump just because we're both carbon-based life forms. Whiteness is invisible for a lot of reasons, but primarily it's invisible because white people want it to be. It's easier not to address racism, institutional, structural, since the beginning, empirically proven, affects every facet of life in the nation that owes its wealth to slavery racism, if you derace yourself by making whiteness a presumptive condition, a state from which any deviation is, well, deviant. 
For some white people, the psychic trauma of knowing you're part of a system of oppression and unearned privilege is too much to deal with, so they push it away. For others, the hole at the center of whiteness is embarrassing or confusing or infuriating. Everybody else has a culture to be proud of. Where's mine? How come the only people who talk about white culture are crazy-ass white supremacists, and even they just talk about defending it, not what it is? Am I not allowed to be proud? Wait, should I not be proud? So they push it away. But this is where your idea about Trump comes in and why it's brilliant. Even white people like the ones at that white privilege conference we got drunk and spoke at a couple of weeks ago, white people who are furious about racism and police brutality and black death, they don't really know what to do on a personal level either. And it's all well and good for us to tell them after, what was it, four rounds of gin and tonics, to go confront their racist families, but it doesn't feel like enough. But denouncing Trump from a position of whiteness, declaring that he disgusts you as a white person and does not speak for you as a white person does something different, something kind of cool. It's a way to claim and use whiteness, to wield it with authority rather than apology, and that's something white anti-racists seldom get the chance to do. We need a meme, though, or a hashtag. You any good at hashtags? Adam, I'm the worst at hashtags. The best I've ever done in coming up with one was hashtag let's all have a thoughtful discussion, which didn't trend for obvious reasons. By the time you use that hashtag, there's not much room for the discussion. You got one? How about whites against Trump? It gets the party started by empowering white people to wield their whiteness with authority in service to the country. That's great. It fulfills the feel-good imperative. But then it pulls the rug out from under by asking them to acknowledge that Trump is the fruit that falls from the tree of whiteness. That while he might be a bilious, hate-spewing human satire, he's also the ultimate manifestation of unchecked white privilege, ingeniously marketing itself to the silent majority of scared, angry white voters. So on one hand, you're giving white people the chance to get on some not-in-my-name shit, which makes them feel righteous and has proven effective in the past. But to do it, they have to think about what else is happening in their names. They have to become race traitors and denounce whiteness, to use some classic old-school terminology. And keep in mind, whiteness is still invisible. And white people have invested so much in making it that way. Maybe you've illuminated it for a hot second by shining a spotlight on Trump and connecting him to it. And as long as that's a diversionary tactic, as long as he's an aberration, everybody is going to stay on the bus. But when you spin that spotlight toward the audience, that's when the audience bounces. All right, Adam. Whites against Trump is fine by me. But remember, I'm not very good at the viral thing. So yeah, we're two months away from the election, so it's go time. Hashtag whites against Trump. And stay tuned for when Adam comes back in the fall. Man, how are you still going after those whites? Jesus. <laughs> oh, whites. I heard I heard uh, someone once say that their best whites were friends. Oh, yes. <laughs> I believe I heard that too on my second album, Face Full of Flower. Not to be confused with my brand new album, Semi-Prominent Negro, coming September 30th. <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for all the listeners who wrote in. And if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button on whatever you're using to listen to this podcast right now. And maybe think about leaving us a nice little review. It's a very helpful way to spread the word for new shows like ours. And if you're loving us, check out some of our other projects. I have a new album out now on Kill Rockstars called Mainstream American Comic. You can get that everywhere. Uh, also, I'll be touring and doing shows in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club on September 22nd to the 24th. And I'll be in Houston on October 22nd and Dallas on October 23rd. You can find more information on hurrykundabolu.com or more realistically on Google. And I've got other projects going on, like my podcast, Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time, period. My live radio show and podcast come out right now. Also, i got some shows coming up. I'll be in Boston, New York, Washington, D.C., Portland. I'm doing a ton of college shows. Check out my sites for all the dates, wkamalbell.com. Politically Reactive is a production of First Look Media and distributed by Panoply. The team includes Nick Borenstein, Lisa Langang, Erica Moo, and Max Jacobs. The show is engineered by Ted Muldoon. Thanks to Brontez Purnell for providing music for the show. A special thanks again to Ben Alex Dupree for taking the time to speak to us from the protests in North Dakota. And also, another special thank you to Adam Mansback, whose work you can find at adammansback.com. Thanks to Northgate Studios in Berkeley and Argo Studios in New York. And thanks today for help from Micah Dubroy. <laughs>